Is it too tall? Checking mics. Checking, checking, checking mics. Mics, checking mics. Mic check. Juice, mic check. Juice, mic check. This Mike is the Bisque mic. Mike is good. Thank you for checking in on me, guys. <laughs> Bisque mic. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So I had a quick story. Did you... I didn't tell you about Father Biscuit, did I? On the, on the online game? Oh, I, I heard maybe secondhand, but I I think didn't. I told you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so do you want to hear the but full maybe. Yeah, because I, I didn't hear, like, I guess the full details or the conclusion of it. Okay. So this is basically, it's a short story and not that exciting, but I thought it was insanely coincidental. So I had my classmates over for dinner at my parish maybe three or four Sundays ago. And it's just been something we've been doing every month is going to somebody's parish and um, having dinner. So I made some spaghetti. and That's pretty cool. It's very cool. Yeah. Anyways, uh, a couple guys stayed later into the night, Brad Zamora and Dan Volvachny. And we were just chit-chatting and, you know, as you do, got on our phones and we're twiddling around. And I was like, what are you guys playing? Because they were playing a game and it was trivia crack. Matter of fact, no, Brad was playing it. Dan and I didn't have it yet. And so I don't know if you know this game. It's basically just like you play trivia against people um, who you can be friends with on the thing. Yeah, I played it over Christmas break. It's it's fun. I got my nephew on it, and we're playing each other. It's just a way to kind of connect with people and have something to do uh, with your free time on the phone, which I've been trying to give up for Lent, honestly, just looking at my phone and doing pointless things on. But that, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so we're playing around the table, the three of us, over the Internet. <laughs> we're playing this trivia game. And I made – so. They had their names just as Father Brad Zamora and Father Dan Volvachny. Um And I just decided when I made my name to, to make it Father Biscuit, all spelled out, like F-A-T-H-E-R, Biscuit. And um, I made the name. We were playing for a while. And then the next day, <laughs> Monday, after this event, I, had, I got on the game to continue my games with Brad and Dan. And I had a challenge from a guy whose handle was the real father biscuit. <laughs> what? <laughs> no joke. That's what his handle was at the real father biscuit. Cause mine was at symbol father biscuit. And I noticed in the corner, there was like a little notification near like your friends bar. And it was for a chat, which I didn't even know this game had. And I clicked it and the guy had this form the, the real father biscuit had, uh, that tweeted at me or whatever, like chatted me saying, I challenge you for the tag Father Biscuit. And I was like, oh my gosh, this has got to be Dan Volvachny pulling a fast one. But I I did have the data that I was still in a game with him and his tag was Father Dan Volvachny. So I'm like kind of half in and half out of whether or not this is real. <laughs> and so I started playing with the guy and it's one of those games where you, like words with friends you play and then you just close it and pick it up like a day later or something and, mm-hmm. and play again. So, but I, I tweeted back at him. I said, I keep saying tweet. I, I chatted back at him saying, serious? Question mark. And played him and I, I 
didn't do well. And then uh, the next time I opened it, he was like, yeah, Father Biscuit is my tag in every other game. And so then I played my round and, and wrote to him, what do I get if I win? And then the next time I checked it, he had beat me <laughs> in the game. And he said, you would have gotten to keep the tag, but I won. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, first of all, I, there's no way that your tag in every other game is Father Biscuit. And so what I, what I wrote back to him was, I don't recall agreeing to the terms. <laughs> but what I had done is Googled Father Biscuit, like with the at symbol in front of it. And sure enough, the, the, there's like websites that log people's performance on like Xbox and stuff like that. And this guy had stats in all these different games as Father Biscuit. And I this said... This is the strangest thing I've ever heard. It was so weird. And think about it. The day before... I am not kidding. If it's his tag on every other game, how is it that the day before... That means that he signed up the day after you signed up. Yeah. <laughs> and he's clearly a gamer. Oh, big time. <laughs> so uh, I said, I don't, I don't recall agreeing to the, to the terms. Why don't we do best of five? And so we started another game, and he asked, you know, starting now, or does that win count? I was like, that win can count, okay? It's a race to th three wins, <laughs> or whatever. And so um, in the time of our best of five series, which went four games, he beat me. Ah, uh, dang it. He was very, way better than me. So I asked him, how is it, may I ask how you chose the tag Father Biscuit? And he said that he was at like a summer camp and was a counselor. And the nickname for the kids at the summer camp was Biscuits. All the kids were nicknamed Biscuits. And he became the father of all Biscuits <laughs> because he was like a big time counselor there or something or a long time counselor. <laughs> so he just happened to like use this tag Father Biscuit because he was really into this camp. And it was kind of like I, I wanted him to ask me. And he fell right into my trap and, and was like, can I ask you why you're Father Biscuit? And I was like, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm a Catholic priest. And uh, my name is Father Connor, but everybody in college called me Seabiscuit because of my first initial. And um, I actually am on a podcast at Three Dogs North, and you might give it a listen. They call me Seabiscuit on that. And so his next, uh, next message to me during our games was, I really like the one about friendship. And so he actually listened to it, which was cool. What? <laughs> um, and we chatted like a little bit back and forth, but he beat me and I gave him the, gave him Father Biscuit. I just changed mine to formerly Father Biscuit. And so he became <laughs> Father Biscuit. I said, hey, listen to Three Dogs North next week because I'll totally tell this story and give you a shout out, which we didn't because of the weird break. We posted oh. that episode from before about uh, the Coke commercial which was last week's episode. Right, right. So hopefully he sticks with it. Um, well, you can find him on the game, can't you? And just I let suppose him know. I could. I could just message him on the game and be like, hey, I know we disappointed you last week. But but I thought it was a cool... It was To me, it was like providential. More than a crazy coincidence, I was like... My thinking was, why did God have me start this dumb game yesterday and now this crazy encounter... And so the only way I could like reach out to him, and that's one of the limitations of the internet in general, is that it's so anonymous, it's so difficult to have a personal connection. But I was like, this is too weird not to be like, who are you, and 
let me tell you who I am. You know, I wanted to like at least make a connection. If not, you know, have him listen to the podcast and, you know, see what we're all about and maybe an evangelical opportunity. But more than anything, it was like, you know, there's something on the Internet that is a little bit more of my personality than my trivia skizzles. Right. Well, this... (laughs) I mean, who knows? Maybe he, maybe he does listen. And I mean, it's such a strange occurrence. Mm -hmm. Uh, But my question is, which explanation for the name is weirder? Like, that's true. I bet he's sitting here, like, telling the story to his buddies. Like, you would never believe how this guy got the name Father Biscuit. (laughs) That's true. You know? Yeah. Like, the camp counselor one. That's pretty funny. It's pretty far out. But and he he sent me the name of the camp, and I looked at their Facebook page, and it looks like a sick camp. It's like whitewater rafting like rock climbing oh, it's in awesome. colorado and cool it looks awesome so i can see why he's into it but well shout out to father biscuit though. father biscuit we thanks for ab- listening yeah we'll absolutely be adding these this is not you father biscuit this is the real father biscuit <laughs> yeah not the formerly father biscuit. that's right uh, yeah. the imposter the imposter well that is that is strange man the other thing I want to shout out, my brother Tyler is a, an official sponsor because he, he wrote a check. I emailed my brothers to see if they would co-sponsor the the sick uh, $50,000 sound machine that we got here. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. so he wrote me a little chizek. <laughs> so he told me he'd be he'd be writing his commercial spot later that we would have Absolutely. to write for him. <laughs> that's, and that's Tyler? Yeah, Tyler. Okay. Shout out to Tyler. <laughs> Thank you, Tyler. <laughs> Yeah. And you were just home to see them, weren't you? I went Down to Dallas, Dallas to see my brother, Ethan. Okay. Oh, um, that's okay, Ethan, yeah. Uh, Ethan, he's kind of the, he does the website and everything like that and set it up, which, I mean, without him, this never would have happened. He Definitely gave us our not. first microphone. <laughs> a microphone. <laughs> he gave us a microphone. It's enough to get us started. It was. But it was great. I uh, We had this little break for Ash Wednesday, and I didn't have any class Monday or Tuesday, so I thought to myself a couple of weeks ago, like, geez, I haven't been down to Dallas since my brother moved there in March. And the only time I've seen the nephews and nieces was my ordination in May. And, you know, I talked to my brother, my sister-in-law on the phone, sometimes text back and forth. But it's the nephews and nieces that kind of grow up without you when they're far away, which they had always been so close on weekends. I just stop in like at least once a month to see them. So I missed them and I didn't want them to like forget who I was. So just bought a Spirit Air, like stinking Spirit Air, dude. Jet butt, jet yeah. bus, jet butt, <laughs> jet bus. And another thing, I hadn't told the kids that I was coming. So me and my brother went to the school because it was like Tuesday around noon. I got down there. No way! You went to the school at noon? No, I went to the school at. Uh, we just hung out. We had lunch, and we're hanging out, and then we walked over to the school. Okay at like 2.40, whenever they were getting out. Oh, I thought you pulled a Ferris Bueller. Uh, no, no, but I did I did on Ash Wednesday. I'll, I'll oh, tell okay. you about okay. So Tuesday afternoon, we go over to the elementary school, which three of my nephews and nieces are at, uh, the other nephews at um, middle school, and then one's a baby. He's in like pre-kindergarten twice a week. So there's five altogether. So I'd seen the baby. He was at home. He doesn't care. He's... He's three years old. He's just like, oh, grateful. Oh, cool. Uncle Connor's here. What do you have? Um, but I got there and then, oh, man, my nephew, who's my godson, is kind of, he's like a golden retriever of a child. He's really smart, but he's also just like in the moment, you know, not a planner. His room is a, just a pigsty. 
and like projects and stuff. But he saw me and he just was like, he lit up and he ran to me and he's like, what are you doing here and stuff? And, and it was also funny kind of seeing him getting a little older and trying to trying to talk like an adult. And he's like, how is it being a priest? <laughs> you know, like, how have you been <laughs> kind of thing from a nine year old. And my eight year old niece was it was more pensive. She's like, what are you doing? How long are you here? And so it was great. Surprised them. Surprised my nephew, my other nephew when he got home. And we just had like Fat Tuesday dinner and hung out. Then the next day, uh, my brother and sister-in-law took them all out of school <laughs> on Ash Wednesday. And uh, we, I took the boys to the skate park at like 9 in the morning, <laughs> which they have Razor scooters. And my brother, for some crazy reason, has an adult <laughs> Razor scooter. <laughs> so I just packed it, packed it all in the van, got the boys in. And drove over there. And the whole time, I'm like, my brother and sister-in-law are like totally chill with this. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I don't have a driver's license. And I'm driving <laughs> two kids who don't belong to me to a skate park on a school day <laughs> in the middle of the day. And there was just no problem with it whatsoever. And uh, we, I talked to Tom Byrne about this. He's like, if anybody asks, you just tell them it's an institute day. <laughs> which I wish I had had that in my bag because then I would have put my mind at ease a little bit more. But we just skated around for like two hours, went back home, had mass, had Ash Wednesday mass in the kitchen, which my nephew took an old palm from the fridge, like a palm cross from last Palm Sunday, and burned it in, in a pot and made ashes. And we used those to, to get everybody ashed up. That's super legit, man. The yeah. kids loved it, dude. They they all did a reading and they did a super they did a really good job and they all practiced beforehand and wanted me to like give them pointers and stuff and took it yeah. super serious. The funniest part was that at the end there's no procession out, you know, so mass just kind of ends mm -hmm. and I'm like taking off the stole and the alb and stuff and they didn't know what to do so they just like started clapping. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> it was so funny. That's tremendous. Yeah. And then we played a two-hour marathon game of Monopoly in the kitchen, mm. which, as Monopoly does, had some tension and, and a little bit of, you know, mixed feelings there. But it ended well. And me and my... With confessions afterwards? <laughs> no, but I did make a rule at one point. I said, okay, this is Uncle Father Connor's version of Monopoly. If anyone says anything mean, they have to pay $100 to the bank. <laughs> and my sister-in-law was like, I like that rule. <laughs> So, great. We hung out. Then we watched uh, some Pirates of the Caribbean. Kids went to bed, sat and chatted with my brother and sister-in-law. And the next morning I was off. But it was super sad, though. Like, my my nephew, Tom, um, was all ready for school. And I, I've, like, lazily got out of bed at, like, 7.30. And they're all about to go to school. And Tom comes up to me all year. He's like, when you when, when I get back from school, Uncle Connor, I want to I show you my helicopter. And I was like, Tom, I'm not going to be here when you get back. And you could just see in his eyes, like, oh, dang it. <laughs> you know? But it was never going to be, it, I was never going to stay there forever kind of thing. It was, you know, the, it was, it's kind of like when you go down to the orphanage. Scott said this about the orphanage. Because it's really hard to leave that place. Even if you've been there for eight weeks or eight days, doesn't matter. The goodbyes are excruciating. And the kids all write you these notes and... And Scott said, I think, really well, um, it will never be enough. 
you know there will never be a time when you're ready to leave mm-hmm. you know and i think that's what it's like with people you love you know you just you want to be with them and they want to be with you so that that's one of the tough things about life in time and space is that you have to leave each other you know yeah there was something and because that was a question that i always kind of uh not struggled with but thought about growing up was you know if we really do believe in the resurrection and we believe that we get to spend eternity in heaven with christ and with god the father uh why are we so sad all the time even christians at funerals and things like that and um you know there's a certain joy to people passing especially when it's peaceful and you know that you know they they're just went really well there's a certain joy that comes with it but there's always a sadness mm-hmm. um and so that was kind of my like i just don't really get it we should really be very joyful about it but father duran in his moral theology class he shed some really good light on it when he gave the definition of love as um, desiring to be or being in union being in union with another and so in a sense like it definitely makes sense that yeah we can be joyful and be happy that they're in heaven with christ and with the father with the holy spirit but we want to be in union with them right. and right here on earth we we can't be and like we desire that union in whatever imperfect physical manner that we can be in, you know, whether mm-hmm. that's a hug or even just spending companionship together, time together. And that's what we're missing now. And right. certainly we can intellectually make the, you know, assent to them being with Christ. And that's great. But like, dude, I want to be in union with them right now. And I, I think that's something that's really difficult. Um, but it, it helped me to understand a lot better, you know, that tension between the joy of them being gone, the joy of leaving uh, or the joy of like going back home from mm-hmm. visiting the family members, but also the sadness of I'm not going to be in that close proximity to them. Right. And I desire that, you know, which I think speaks to the reality of heaven, of really how like intimately close we'll all be right. as the communion of saints. Yeah. You want to be in union with people. Yeah. yeah. That's part of um, lately I've been praying a lot on just like the, the reality and the fact that our desires are not the problem. Like, even if they're a disordered desire, like, it's not a problem. But this notion that, like, we think we have to perfect ourselves or be something that we're not or or whatever, um, it comes in all the time, like, all the time, at least at least in my life. And so, like, even even that, like, at a funeral, you know, I've been, able, I've, been I've gone to a lot of, obviously, like, older people's um, funerals, but even, like, a, a child's funeral, which is super sad, there's still a feeling of like sadness there um no matter like who it is but that's exactly exactly it and there's something in that desire like if you kind of let yourself sit with it and go into it that's uh i don't know it's really good like it's just part of being it's part of being human like for me that's been some of the most like tangible experiences of the cross and realizing it's like man when it's actually the cross of Christ, it's, this is very, like, this is very beautiful and very powerful. So that's what. Yeah. It's at a, at a funeral. It's not the deceased you feel really sorry for, or that's really sad. Mm-hmm. It's the people that are left behind. It's like, um, the analogy of being born, you know, there's kind of these two modes of existence we have. We're the, this familiar one, let's say we're in the womb 
you're a baby in the womb, you have a very familiar, comfortable existence, you're used to it, um, but it has to come to an end. And moreover, like the, the existence that you're called to live out in the world and engage the world, although it's, you know, this world has its ups and downs, it's a more complete um, existence. It's a, it's a realer way to exist than just in this mm-hmm. bubble, you know. And so death is like this gateway to this higher plane of existence that you're now um, beholding God face to face in heaven. This is what we're destined for. All of us are, are heading in that direction, um, even if only implicitly. That's what we long for. Um, and so, but death is this necessary, although traumatic, just like childbirth would be for a baby and a mother, uh, a traumatic event and a break with the past, like a, a final break with the past. There's no going back in the womb. There's no, no coming back from the dead to the same way of existing that you existed right. prior to death. There's only a moving forward into this, um, past the veil, uh, into the, the mystery. And so where are the souls of the just? They're in the hands of God. You know, that's what the book of wisdom says that, that the souls of the just are in the hand of God. That's where they reside in God. And they're happy as any, and as anyone would be seeing God face to face. Uh, but we who are left behind in the womb are kind of like, well, dang, you know, there's a separation here. It's not a total and utter separation. We still believe in the communion of saints, that they're present at the mass, that you can pray to them and pray for them. There's not a, a like in some forms of Protestant Christianity, this fundamental break, you know, mm-hmm. um, we're still in communion with them, but it's a, it's a tenuous one. We're still like living in this world of change and becoming and multiplicity and disunion and awaiting our birth. And that's St. Paul, like oh, the whole creation is groaning with birth pangs, waiting for this fulfillment. And so there's sadness in it. And that's what you, as a priest, I think you sit with people in the sadness of it and you don't try to fix it. You don't try to cheer them up or buck them up and be like, come on. You know, you don't try to just shut off the emotions like a faucet and say, just bury them. Mm-hmm. And you sit with that pain and you, like you said, juice like that desire is a holy desire for communion and you you wait patiently for god to fulfill that desire you don't ignore it or try to cut it off and be like no we're all going to heaven and that's fine you know i'm, I'm totally fine and just be like a, a robot about it um but to let the let it hurt but never give up hope relax have you have you read um a brave new world Oh Is yeah, Aldous Huxley. World? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 Huxley. That's like <clears throat> one of the um, primary social norms. Is they have that ever popular drug that mm-hmm. whoever the government is, I don't know exactly. Um, I don't remember the name of the drug, but I remember that movie theaters were called feelies. Feelies, they, yeah, yeah, because they would not just be visual; they would like yeah, stimulate was, you, so you'd completely feel nice. stimulating. But the whole thing was like. Avoid pain at all costs. One hundred and ten percent. Avoid pain at all costs. So Which is ever, why, by the way, a lot of people think, like Alan Bloom says that the American, the Western dystopia, that's much more plausible is is Huxley's mm-hmm. than Orwell's. Because mm-hmm. Orwell was so scared of totalitarian, um, like kind of a communist totalitarian regime that controlled all its people. Is much force, more fear based. Yeah, by fear, the the Huxley dystopia controls people by 
the promise of always feeling good sensuality yeah. and yeah yeah just the feel good the instant gratification yeah. yeah and what it it well you, so when the book opens you have a figure that it seems like oh this is the guy he doesn't want to take the drug he wants to have like these real encounters with the beautiful girl and everyone just sleeps with each other like very freely and openly and There's, young yeah, they're encouraging like children to experiment with sex. It's a, I mean, it was, it's, it's a strange it's book. It's prescient. Yeah. But I mean, if, going through public school with the health classes and stuff, the way they talk to kids right. about sex, it was, it was very prescient in yeah. terms of like what, I don't know when that book was written, but early, tw- early to mid 20th century. Yeah. Uh, certainly before the sexual revolution had got its claws in us um, and was, you know, telling kids to wear condoms at age, you know, 12 and stuff like that. But I mean, that's it. You, well, anyways, so the, the the book is like based on this state of control by the promise of always feeling good. Yeah, just the physical appetites. And it's, I mean, it's to the T, it's like the antithesis of what we're talking about, mm-hmm. that if there is that uncomfortable moment or that painful reality of the loss of a family member, the loss of, of anything, I mean, they're, you know, the whole society is just 100% drugged up pretty much all the time unless they're working so like as soon as they get off of work they're all just taking these drugs and so that everyone's just kind of in happy la la land and there's a figure that it looks like oh this guy's gonna be the guy who like breaks out of this Mm -hmm. and he goes after this beautiful girl and it's weird and like he's a weird guy but he's he's kind of relishing in his weirdness but then she pressures him and pressures him and he ends up crumbling and yeah. taking this yeah. strange drug. It, it ends know? like real morbidly, doesn't oh, it? Oh, it's a yep. sad. Well, because he goes off to a, a weird country very, very far away where yep. people don't know about this society yep. and they're Christians, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, it's like a, it's a strange, it's a almost like pagan type Christianity. Yeah. yeah. And he ends up finding like um, what I pictured as like a Native American type person. Um, who does intense mortification and like very manichaeist Puritan and but it had, makes no sense to them. Yeah, it's why it, would you not always just try to feel good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so these people are just they call them savages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like pagans. I think they call them savages in the book. Um, but he ends up coming back to civilization and uh, they kind of look at him and study him as the as the savage. I think is what they what mm-hmm. they title him as. And uh, he ultimately ends up breaking to like the sexual pressures and. Yeah, it does end very morbidly, but uh, at least what I took from it was the massive disappointment in following this character that they lead in with, who you think is going to break out of this instant gratification mindset, and he just totally collapses and like so disappointed that this guy isn't able to, um, you know, live in that reality, even the sadness of it, Um, because there's something. I mean, I know we've talked about it quite a bit, but that move that expands the heart that suffering has the ability to do that that discomfort has the ability to do that and i think of baron's class when he was talking about the ontological polarities that it kind of makes you these these staunch realities that kind of bring you out of yourself that that's kind of living on like the edge of reality he said you know you talk about the people who are in like coffee houses who think they're edgy people who are <laughs> that just, was hilarious when he was talking about that yeah Yeah. or even like like celebrities that like (laughs) claim to live these super edgy lives because they fly around in helicopters and baron was like that's not edgy priests are edgy (laughs) yeah yeah that's what he's saying priests are the edgiest people not in that they live on like the edge of 
the society in terms of the materialistic perspective of it. Mm -hmm. But they live on the edge of reality in that we're talking about the cusp between our earthly existence and what's afterwards. They're on the edge and that's where they meet people. The priest is meeting people coming into life and he is walking people out of life. That's where the priest lives. Yeah. And he's the one who at times when people are drawn out of themselves by these you know, painful moments where life comes crashing in, these existential realities come bearing down on people, the priest needs to be there to kind of guide people around that. Uh, and that's something that, you know, at least in this book was highlighted um, in the opposite manner of like what happens when you just suppress that or just look away from it, which we all do. We mm -hmm. all do with our headphones and the internet and radio and TV and all that. I mean, there's a million different oh, drugs absolutely. that we... Th that's why that book is so, I think, uh, good at uh, piercing the heart of somebody in our current culture yeah. because we we're addicted to distraction and just, you know, whatever to to make me happy now, even if it's not going to be forever, something to kind of push away, whatever this is. And but what it is, is reality. Like to your point, Mike, I think what what you're rooting for as the reader of that book is for this guy not to be not to feel pain just for pain's sake, but to know what real life is like, what nature is like, what the world actually is and not just live in this bubble where it's like, as long as I'm happy, everything's fine, you know? to really engage what's actually going on. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And peer down.